Hi everyone, may peace be on you all. Welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and that's okay. My name is Shahla and it is currently 10:35 at night. And again, this is my pre-recorded show disclaimer because even though I'm back, I'm back from spring break and uh, back home, but it's not just me anymore. I'm here with the kids and <laughs> there's going to be no recording happening in any amount of peace of peace and quiet with them around. So, it will have to be pre-recorded until you know all the the pandemonium surrounding the COVID-19 virus I guess subsides and we can go back to normal which may be a while so I mean I'm not asking anybody to go out anytime soon just stay in your house stay put and um it's funny I mean <laughs> for me uh, I guess being the introvert and um socially isolated person that I am usually it really hasn't made too much of a difference in my life other than the fact that my kids are always here and you know chaos but i know it it's hard for a lot of people and uh, i was really thinking about today's episode i mean i was going to do my continuation of my um i guess background and i thought you know i'd maybe switch it up just slightly because i was about to you know continue on into what happened after I got married and I thought you know I've had a lot of people ask me about my wedding and I think it's 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 um I guess how people in the west perceive it the whole I mean I think most people have only seen Pakistani/Indian weddings in the media and it's it's fascinating for them um but i guess you have to like live through it to be to know how huge of uh an affair it is so i thought i'd delve into that just a little bit in today's episode and maybe continue on with you know the my the rest of my time here in in the us so the year is 2007 and i have uh, you know chosen a suitable suitor i guess <laughs> and uh, you know we agreed to be married and uh, for most people who don't know um pakistani weddings are not a one day thing ever i mean they're there's probably easily like a bajillion days involved in the planning of the wedding and in the wedding itself i mean although i mean if you if you had to look at it from a religious perspective from an islamic perspective there are only like uh, there's only like the one main day where you say sort of the i do and another like dinner in which um everybody from the groom side like invites uh, every, the the entire family from both sides and it's supposed to be like a dinner and but uh That's not how it is traditionally. I mean, oh gosh. When I was getting married, I mean, uh, what we had was what what's formally known as the nikah, and the nikah is the day of the wedding when you say when the bride and groom say I do. And we had that first and um 
Even though my wedding was a small affair, it wasn't small by any Western standards. <laughs> and the only way we really uh, ever realized that when we came to the US after our wedding, and of course, you know, I had to start uh, the whole process for my husband, you know, to, so he'd be able to li legally live here in the, in the US. I mean, and do his residency and all of that because I was already a citizen, you know, applied for his green card, all of those things. And we had hired a lawyer and um, most of the time lawyers will, you know, guide you through the process. And, uh, you know, because you, when the immigration process happens, you do have to answer a lot of questions. One of them is that they're trying to make sure that you're not in a sham wedding or, or sham marriage just for the sake of green card and all that. And uh, he's like, you know, pretend I'm the immigration officer and, uh, you know, give details of your wedding. And we're like, you know, it was a small affair, you know, not, nothing big, just 300 people. And he was like, what do you mean just 300? And we're like, yeah, I'm, I mean, for a Pakistani <laughs> wedding, that's not a lot of people. <laughs> and and he, you should have seen the look on his face, my gosh. And that's when he realized, I mean, yeah, for us, I mean, 300 is not a huge number. I mean, that's just like close relatives is like 300. I mean, you invite like a couple of aunts, uncles and all your cousins, maybe a friend or two, and it's 300 people. And that's, I think that's one of the things that people in the West probably can't wrap their heads around it. 300 is not a, a large number for, uh, for people from Pakistani backgrounds. So for full-on proper weddings, I mean, the guest list goes into the thousands. It's really, really ridiculous at times. I mean, and that's the thing for my wedding. I mean, we had the main day when we did I do again, not a whole lot of people. It was put together in a bit of a hurry and for the rest of the days. But, you know, you have to invite everybody and by everybody, I mean, everybody it's not just aunts and uncles and cousins it's your cousins in-laws and your second uncle twice removed everybody has to be invited otherwise it's like it's i mean you are not honoring your family and your relatives it's 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 so bad but it it was big and that's the thing with my wedding it was not just my wedding at that time i mean we i had a combo wedding um my brother also got um engaged at that time too and we were like okay let's do this together and you know everybody from my family my husband's family and uh, my my brother's in-laws and their family it was a huge massive thing oh gosh and for me it's it, it it was like my worst nightmare come true i mean not not because of uh, i had like my brother getting married at the same time it's not it wasn't like that it's just i never wanted a big wedding i've always been so um socially i guess aloof or um introverted i that would be the word but I had always, and uh, I told my parents that if I had my ideal wedding, I would be having a court marriage and then that's it. But, and they would always laugh at me that, you know, how can you 
even do that. But that would have been my thing. I just hated hate the, the fact that there were so many people at the combined wedding and uh, the amount of socializing. Gosh. And it's not just that. I mean, it's Pakistani weddings are also pretty opulent um, in the sense that they're, uh, uh, and I think, I guess a lot of women are into this. I don't know, but I've never been into it. I've never been into this whole princess fairy tale thing. And, uh, but I, I, I would imagine, I guess other women are, otherwise there wouldn't be such a huge industry revolving around creating these really, oof, really blinged out dresses. And my dress was blink not just one dress like all of my dresses i had like three major dresses made for my wedding they were all so blinged out my god and when you have a blinged out dress it weighs a ton and i'm not saying that i didn't necessarily choose the dress i guess i did actually I don't know if I can say I chose the dress because I wasn't even here when the dress was chosen. I just, I, I was running back and forth between continents, you know, trying to get my husband's paperwork, immigration paperwork done. I just told my mom, look, ma, I need a white dress a and a red dress and, you know, make another one a pinkish color, I guess, something that's not too bright pink. And that's what my mom did. But my my mom, I think, wanted to turn me into a princess. And when I came back and I saw the dress, I was like, oh, my God, it was so heavy. It was like literally trying to carry another person around on you all night. And that was for three days that I had three separate dresses that were all incredibly blinged out. I mean, I, I, get, I wish I could like show you pictures over over the podcast but these were ridiculously blinged out dresses i mean it's not like they didn't look nice they looked nice but wow man i had never i had never since then and i had never before that worn anything so heavy and that's just the dresses when you talk it's not just the dresses that are like over the top pakistani weddings or i mean if you talk to anybody from that part of the world it's the dress the makeup and the jewelry and on the wedding day you're I mean at that time there was still a trend of wearing heavy jewelry and that's what I got sort of stuck with as well again not my favorite thing to do but it was just sort of this thing and that's the thing for and uh, <laughs> Again, I think we put ourselves as, you know, the youngsters and when we were young in a situation where we can't say no since our parents usually end up paying for our wedding. So, I mean, yeah, they're paying for the wedding. So if they buy you something and it's heavy, not to your taste, I mean, you're sort of like sort of shut up and <laughs> like wear it because you're, you're not in a situation to be, uh, you know, beggars can't be choosers, that sort of thing. But yeah, my jewelry was heavy. I mean, it was nice, but it was so heavy and I have not worn it since. It's it's sad because it is so over the top big that there's no way I could wear it anywhere. Like literally not in the US especially. Ooh-wee. I mean, I'd be wa- a walking signpost for somebody to like mug me if 
even if I attempted to wear even one of my smallest pieces of jewelry. But that's how it is. It's that's how it is in Pakistani culture to that when the bride is getting like when on her wedding day she receives a, a whole lot of jewelry that is really big and from what I've heard I mean the trend has changed because again gold is getting expensive you can't really have a whole lot of it um, nowadays I mean can't afford a whole, a whole lot of gold nowadays and which is fine I mean I wish it was the same when I was getting married you know it would have been a lot cheaper to get me married but yeah so I mean and ooh, the makeup my god and again, for all those people who know me, they know that I hate wear, making, wearing makeup with a vengeance. I mean, I don't even wear lipstick on most days. Lipstick is for special occasions or for when I wander into Walgreens and find some like random nice color. And I'm like, ooh, let me buy that. And then I never wear it for, I mean, the rest of the year. I just like one day I try it out. And it's sitting in my box in my bathroom and I don't wear it again. I mean, my only, I guess, regular piece of makeup is, I guess, my, my gajal that I wear. And uh, yeah, that's probably the only thing I wear every day on my eyes. But other than that, nothing else. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just how I am. But that day, ooh, so much makeup and foundation and wow. It, it was ridiculous, but yeah, so I had my three really blinged out days of looking like somebody else. I mean, I didn't look like myself. I mean, when the pictures came back from the, the, from the photographer, I was like, okay, this is not me. It's somebody else. I mean, she looks nice. It's not me. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Pakistani weddings are the real deal when it comes to extravagance and there's lots of you know lots of socializing and lots of you know merry men singing and dancing it's it's oh the whole shebang you can't you cannot not have fun at a pakistani wedding but you know i've always found them really tiresome just because of all the people that are involved in a wedding and of course and this is my public service announcement for anyone invited to a Pakistani wedding. They're notoriously late. Always. I mean, except for mine, because I come from a family of people who are ridiculously punctual. It doesn't matter which side of the family you, you could look at. We're all ridiculously punctual and we always had early weddings. And that was, I mean, that's that's one of the only things that I was liked about my wedding that at least it didn't last until like 3 a.m. or something but most Pakistani weddings if you get an invite it says 7 30 it's never gonna start at 7 30 let me just tell you that so anyway yeah so 2007 I got I had my big Pakistani wedding and yeah I moved to the U.S. and um we were in the middle smack dab of the recession in the U.S. And at that time, uh, we had moved to Detroit. Yes, that, uh, that's where my husband's residency was. And um, it was, and I think what most people don't understand, uh, especially who, uh, who view immigrants as outsiders, is that how hard it is for somebody who's coming from someplace else 
to be able to adjust to a lot of things. Now for me, I consider myself, um, I guess, very um, exposed to Western culture, mostly through the media. Again, I can't say it's the same as um, living in the U.S., but even when I was growing up, we you know, used to watch a lot of shows that were broadcast over the television that usually were simulcast uh, from the U.S. I mean, shows like Full House, and we used to get satellite TV, and we were exposed to a lot of things from the West. But even then, when you come to another country, it is... It is a culture shock in the sense that nothing is the same anymore. You're used to a certain way of life, living under certain circumstances, and everything gets flipped on his head. And I found that when I came to Detroit, that everything was so different, that nothing was what I was used to. And it made it hard. And I was all alone. Um, I don't have any family in Detroit, particularly. I mean, my brother lives in Chicago, and that's about three hours from Detroit. But even then, um, in living in Pakistan, you're sort of used to having family around you. Like, again, as I'd mentioned uh, in my previous episode, that no more than half an hour away. Nobody is really far from you. But... Coming to the U.S. Um, um, and when we moved to Detroit, I found an overwhelming sense of loneliness. And uh, again, I guess being introverted and um, not very talkative, I found it hard to make new friends or friends at all. I don't. I don't think I really had any friends. I mean, we had some really nice neighbors, and but I. I don't make friends easily. Uh, you can call that a bad thing, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with you, but it's just how I am. I don't. I don't really make friends very easy, and uh, that was a hard time. It was a lot of adjustments. You know, married. Ev- everything is new. You know, the marriage is new. The place is new. The apartment is new, and you also. I mean, we also got robbed twice in the first six months that I was in the U.S. I was living in the U.S. (laughs) It was just a whole lot of things crashing in one on top of the other. And uh, it just, that made the entire thing particularly hard. But again, um, slowly and surely, I adjusted to how things were in the U.S. You know, for the first time, had to do everything on my own. Wasn't really used to that doing that in Pakistan. Um, for those who have never lived there, I mean, you can say there's lots of things that go wrong in Pakistan. But, I mean, you've always had the support of your family. And plus, um, I was always used to growing up with maids and even what you might call a chauffeur over here. Over there, we used to call them drivers. And I barely ever had to do my own laundry. I mean, I never vacuumed or, you know, really cleaned or dusted. And uh, I think my mom was most afraid for me because I I was so lazy, still am at certain things, but I had never done any of these things on my own. And that's one of the things that is particularly shocking when you come to the US that you have to do every single thing on your own, you know, take out your own trash, 
do your own dishes. I'd never done my own dishes. It's bad. It was so bad. I was so spoiled. And um, but slowly and surely, you you get used to that because again, um, I would call those things like small things that you have to adjust to. I think the biggest thing that was that sort of still bothers me, I guess, as as being someone, even though I was born here, but my experiences are from another country, mostly. I mean, not anymore, I guess. I've been here for over a decade. But even then, um, you see uh, people view you as another. I mean, as not another, but the other. And I noticed that for the first time in Detroit, that when I would go to stores, people do look at you funny. It's hard to explain, but I mean, you, especially children, I, I noticed because children don't have a sense of, um, they, they're not aware of the social niceties that you shouldn't be staring, shouldn't be pointing. And they, they sort of look, they, like they would look at you and point at you. And I'm, again, I don't blame the kids necessarily, or um, I don't know if I, if I can blame the adults, but I, I found that a lot of people were not exposed to people who are pr- probably from immigrant backgrounds. And I think the most unsettling thing about this was, and still is, is it makes you very uncertain about where you really belong. And because now, if I had to say, I would say that the U.S. is my home now. This is where I have lived for over a decade. I mean, my entire family isn't here, but a good part of my family is now. My, I have my brother and sister here. My, a lot of my uncles are here now. A lot of cousins here in the U.S. My kids were born here. They are raised here. I belong here now. My kids definitely belong here. They don't know any other place other than being in the U.S. And I, the 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 fact that I'm still viewed as, and me and my family. I mean, it's not just me as the other, as someone who shouldn't be here I guess if I had to say it or or somebody who does doesn't fit into the into the collective I know I I, <laughs> I, I threw in a star Star Trek reference right there but th- that's the thing if I don't belong in the collective and my family doesn't belong in the the group that is that is the citizenry of the United States, then how is that even possible? And it's something that I have, I have struggled with over the past decade because I've lived in a lot of places. I mean, Detroit, the first four years we uh, lived in Detroit when my husband was doing his residency. And then um, he did his fellowship, two fellowships, fellowships actually in Houston. We moved all the way from Detroit to Houston, and Houston is um, a lot more welcoming. I found because it's so diverse. I mean, even though part of Texas is the red state, 
but Houston is so diverse and um, even though I, <laughs> I mean I, the I don't know if how many of you ever been to Houston but Houston is pretty random when you when I first moved to Houston it reminded me a lot of about Karachi because a it's it's always crowded be very diverse you know you have a, a huge Muslim and uh, Asian South Asian population over there so you sort of feel right at home and there is so much chaos in Houston it is ridiculous I mean the traffic within the 610 loop is ridiculous and the other thing about Houston is is there are parts of it that are pretty badly made I mean I hate to even like throw mud at that city because I love I love Houston you know whatever you can you can say whatever you want but Houston is was is is my place of nostalgia in the US it reminded me so much of Karachi because it's just that that it's so random and yet it exists somehow something brings into brings together all the chaos and it functions it, it's like it really really functions one of the biggest cities in in Texas and um, and then after uh, uh, Houston we moved to a small town just outside of uh, uh, Houston um, a city called Beaumont and uh, uh, not very far from Houston and again um, Beaumont itself I mean it's um, generally it's within what is called the Golden Triangle I guess in Texas and um, it it's primary primary industry is oil and again a lot of um, I guess middle-class people blue-collar majority white but even then um, in Beaumont I think you even with uh, its high white majority it was very welcoming and um, again I was surprised I was not expecting that to be but um, it it and here I guess I, I find it I find um, it's hard to explain but when I was in Beaumont and um, 2016 rolled in I mean Trump was elected and before the elections I had never never felt in Beaumont even though white majority and majority blue-collared families um, they were good people good welcoming uh, people I'd never felt any any sort of fear in that small town but the night when Trump got elected was very scary for my family because you could hear the uh, the the gangs outside and the news started exploding with these accounts of blatant racism graffiti neo the rise of the neo-nazis in the u.s white supremacist and it was a very scary time for us because 
even with these good people that were in Beaumont, I did not feel safe. And that is the unfair part of it. I mean, if you want to, you know, point fingers at me, I guess that, yeah, I'm a U.S. citizen, but I didn't have the U.S. experience. Fine, you can go ahead and do that, but you can't do that for my kids. My kids are born in the U.S. They are being raised here. We are living here. We have been living here in the U.S. for over a decade, and we are good law-abiding citizens. We we are not people who are taking anything away from anybody. We live our everyday lives. We try to be good citizens in every way possible. And there are people out there that will point out that, but not all immigrants are that way. Yeah, but not everybody, immigrant or not, is good either. It's not about where you come from. Most immigrants just want to exist with some with some semblance of peace and tranquility in the U.S. And they, and as my story illustrates, they don't come here just for one reason. And they're not here to take away something from somebody else. We're just here because we think that we might have better opportunities here. That's not a crime. We're not here with the explicit intention of taking away jobs or opportunities from anybody. That's not how it is. It's never, it never really is that way in a majority of cases. And, uh, but that's the thing. I mean, after 12 years, and we moved out of Beaumont about two years ago, and we moved to Dallas, and again, Dallas is a big city. I mean, when you compare it to Beaumont, it's really huge by any any respect. But even then, it's not it's not the same kind of city as Houston is. I can still sense that even with its huge, like I mean, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but Dallas has a huge Muslim community. I mean, I'm not even kidding here. It is ridiculously large. <laughs> but Dallas is conservative. I have, I, I don't even know how to explain this. But the first time I came to the U.S., I mean, not the U.S., sorry, <laughs> when I came to Dallas, I mean, we drove here because we were looking for um, uh, houses to move into, you know, when we were moving from Beaumont, when my husband got his job here in Dallas. And, uh, but it has a completely different air to it. Uh, there is something about Dallas that you can sense that it is not as open as maybe a city, city like Houston, or even like a small city like Beaumont. I mean, you can, uh, I, I, I think before uh, President Trump's election, I had never felt really any sense of fear in Beaumont. It was only afterwards that I really became scared because 
the the I guess you might see the stereotype is the smaller the town, the more likely you are to face um, discrimination. And uh, and again, I I don't I don't think that generalization is accurate for Beaumont, but we were scared for our kids, really we were, and we were hoping that a bigger city like Dallas would you know be a place that is a little more comforting especially since there is such a huge um, Muslim population over here. But um, Dallas, um, even being a big city, is not as open. And um, thankfully, I've never had to really face any sort of outward discrimination. You know, I've never had anybody loudly comment upon me about my, I guess, appearance, hijab, whatever you wish to call it. Um, but, um, gosh, uh, you can sense it in people's attitudes when they look at you. I've been trying to find a job in Dallas for a long, long time now, very unsuccessfully ever since we moved here. I mean, I was doing my master's, um, online through the University of Iowa and, you know, I needed to do an internship because I had no uh, previous work experience in the U.S. and I really needed, you know, something going for me. So I can't, I haven't even been able to secure an internship in Dallas. Uh, the only place that ha- was willing to hire me was a, was a company that operated complete, completely online, a uh, California-based company. I couldn't even find a Uh, an internship in Dallas. I still haven't been able to find an internship in Dallas, let alone a job. So, I mean, and I know, um, I I can't really say that it's just because I'm Muslim, but I don't know. I mean, considering all the places I've applied to, it's, it seems a bit ridiculous that I haven't been able to at least get any sort of positive response from anybody I mean anyway but I guess that's 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 a rant for another day so from uh, you know starting out with my parents coming to the US and then having us then them moving back to Pakistan and me and my siblings uh, ending up back in the US that has been my journey and our journey, my my family's journey, to you know, from uh, becoming, you know, coming back to the U.S. and coming into the U.S. And I hope that through, I guess, listening to to my story, people will be able to see that there are all of us as as people who are immigrants or from or who are from immigrant backgrounds have different stories. It's not the same thing. And we're here um, because we wish for something better for ourselves and for our family. And again, that is never a crime. And if, 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 if anything, we, we really, really wish to contribute the best we can to to the U.S. and to make it a, a more richer place to be in with our experiences, being the diverse experiences that they are. 
I mean, I can safely say that me, you know, being raised in Pakistan has given me a global perspective that many people who have been born and raised here wouldn't have, you know, a more, I guess you can say, an international experience. It opens, really, really does open your eyes to a lot of things that, I mean, most people who have just experienced the U.S. won't be able to have. But at the same time, we as immigrants are dedicated to, to, to making things better over here as well. And that's why I think it's so heartening to see that there are Uh, so many candidates in this time, this year's election, even though, you know, we only have two, uh, oh, I don't, can't even say two anymore, um, one presidential candidate who's made it through, again, not of immigrant background, but it gives me hope that, you know, we can finally be seen now. And it's important. I, wanted, I want my children to be able to, to see them and go, yes, you know, we are American citizens and we want to we want to be able to contribute to making a better America so with that I will end today's episode and hopefully you know bring in a new episode next week if not Friday then Thursday night as as, as it was today whenever time I can get you know a little bit of peace and quiet So until then, may peace be on you all and stay safe. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.